Good morning. Welcome back to Women in the Word. This is our next to the last week for the spring semester. I can't believe it. You are definitely the faithful. You have been steadfast in your commitment to God's Word and to your small group, and I appreciate your being here, and I know that everybody that was in your small group this morning appreciated your being here also. Because you are the faithful, you know we are continuing on this morning with Paul's letter to his traveling companion and his friend and his ministry partner, his beloved Timothy. And we are midway in Paul's conversation and instructions to Timothy. The first week we discovered that the theme of Paul's words to Timothy throughout the whole letter was faithfulness. And last week we saw Paul tell Timothy to persevere, to persist in spite of any obstacles or discouragement that he might face. And this week, we see that Paul, as you read through that, I hope you picked up the fact that Paul does not pull any punches with Timothy. He doesn't sugarcoat the truth and finally stop and say to Timothy, you know, this faithfulness thing is going to get easier. That um, is not what he tells Timothy. He tells Timothy the truth. My middle son, Jimmy, who's um, a big, tall grown guy now when he was a little boy beginning at the time he was a baby he had to have a lot of surgeries he had his first one when he was eight months old and they went on until he was a teenager every time he had to have a surgery we would go down to cook's hospital the day before for that pre-op visit and he hated it because they always stuck him and drew blood Then we would go in to see the anesthesiologist or the nurse anesthetist, and they would explain to him how they were going to take this mask and put it over his face, and it was going to be sleepy juice, and he was going to go to sleep. And they would tell him that he could pick whatever flavor he wanted for this sleepy juice, that it wouldn't it wouldn't taste bad, and he could pick his flavor. He could have bubble gum or cherry or chocolate cake or whatever. Well, he fell for it for the first few times, and he picked cherry and was all real excited. Well, about the third or fourth time we did this, even a four- or five-year-old finally wises up to uh, the things that they tell you when you're going in the hospital, like, this isn't going to hurt at all. Anyway, and so we were in there about the third or fourth time, and they went through it, and he sat there, and... um, And I think he even told him he picked Cherry. But as we're walking out to the car and I'm holding his hand, he looks up at me and he kind of juts his little chin out. And he says, Mom, why don't they just tell everyone the truth? It's not flavored and it tastes terrible. (laughs) Paul is going to tell Timothy the truth this week. It's not flavored. But hopefully it's not going to taste terrible. It's going to be the truth about Timothy's circumstances and even about our circumstances in the last days and how faithfulness is going to carry us all through. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to begin there reading verses 1 through 9. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, 
lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Paul's first advice to Timothy and his first advice for us in these last days is that we should run, not walk, from anyone and anything that is false. We must avoid anyone and anything that bears the mark of false teaching, of false doctrine, that has false character. Paul realizes that Timothy, just like you and I, are already experiencing what he describes as the last days here. And he wants to make sure that we counter the faithlessness of the last days with the only thing that's going to make a difference in light of all this faithfulness to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The term last days, as Paul uses it here, and it's used a couple of other places in the New Testament, refers to the days preceding the Lord's return for his own, for us, the body of Christ. It's at the time that precedes the rapture of the church. They're not referred to by Paul here as the last days because they're necessarily few. In other words, he doesn't mean, oh, it's only a couple of weeks. These are the last days of the sale or the last days before school starts. It's not that time is necessarily short, but rather that Paul means these are the final days of the present age, which is the church age. It's the term used in the scriptures for the period that's known as inter-advent, the time from when Jesus was resurrected and went back from the Father until the time that Jesus returns in bodily form for the rapture of the church. That's what Paul's talking about when he says the last days, that time period. Hebrews 1-2 on your verse sheet says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. The last days have to do with the church age, the church of Jesus Christ. When Paul writes to Timothy, he knows that Timothy, as he leads the church in Ephesus, is already in the last days. And he had actually spoken to Timothy a little bit about the last days when he wrote to him three years earlier in the letter that we know as 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 4.1, Paul says this to Timothy. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. But Paul, right now, three years later, is really going to be a bulldog about it. He's insistent and intent on making sure that Timothy recognizes the circumstances that he's going to face in the last days so he will be prepared to lead the church at Ephesus. And he gives Timothy a much more detailed instruction here in his second letter. He gives him a list of 18 characteristics right here that begin in verse 2 with the phrase, lovers of themselves, and actually 
ends in verse 4 with the phrase, rather than lovers of God. These are the bookends to Paul's description of godless people in the last days who will try to deceive the faithful with their false teaching and their false character. And if you are a lover of yourself rather than a lover of God, if those are a description of you, what Paul gives here in between those bookends is a result of that. If that's who you are, then you're going to be a lover of money. You're going to be boastful and proud and disobedient to your parents and without self-control and on and on the things that Paul lists here. You know, it's interesting that Paul didn't have to watch the nightly news. We could write all these things down if we watch the nightly news. He gives us a very insightful and accurate list uh, from the Spirit of God. He gives us a picture of the world that the Spirit of God has given him where self-love is the most prominent personal value and Self-centeredness is the motive in all things. Paul's goal, actually, in doing that was to give Timothy a heads up about what's in store for the church and what's in store for the leaders as we all wait for the return of our Savior. And he shares with Timothy in uh, verse 5 here that these people are even going to appear to be religious. They may even claim to be believers. They may attend your church in Ephesus, Timothy, but don't be fooled by them. If you listen carefully, listen carefully to what they say and watch Watch what they're doing and you will discover that what they're really saying and what they're really doing are denying God's truth. Paul gives this insight in his letter to Titus about those who claim religion. Titus 1.16, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing good. Paul also has this wisdom for Timothy and for us in verse 5. When it comes to those who are lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God, when it comes to those who claim to know God, but their actions and their words actually deny the truth of God, unless it's for the purpose of sharing the truth with them, unless it's for the purpose of giving them um, who Jesus Christ really is, Timothy should avoid them. Paul shares with Timothy and with us that we truly need to be cautious when it comes to false teachers and with those who claim to know God but actually deny God in their actions and their words. We talked a little bit in our small group leaders meeting about how difficult it is to be in the world and not of the world. It takes a lot of listening and a lot of watching to know those people that you should embrace um, in your relationships and those people that you need to be very, very cautious with. In verses 6 and 7, Paul focuses on a situation that was occurring in Ephesus. Um, From those who were lovers of self rather than lovers of God had emerged a group of false teachers. And in Ephesus, this group of false teachers were actually preying on women. Um, That's not a new thing, is it? We see it all over the world today. People who are lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God preying on women. They're preying on women who are vulnerable and who are gullible. And notice here in these verses how Paul connects false teaching with moral deficiency. The false teachers had crept in 
through a group of women, crept into the church in Ephesus through a group of women whose immaturity and their uh, carnal nature had made them easy targets, easy targets. And Paul isn't bashing women here. This isn't about uh, every now and then you'll hear that Paul's a woman hater. This isn't a text about bashing women. In fact, I'm very grateful that Paul puts this reminder in here. Several sources that I ta- that I read about this passage even pointed out the fact that in Paul's day, women were especially vulnerable because they were uneducated. They didn't have the opportunity to be educated in the scriptures always or educated um, uh, in academic areas. And they were a very... Um, on the social scene, the, the social strata of Paul's day, they were at the very bottom of the food chain. Women were not respected or given opportunities. So they were vulnerable and gullible when it came in to people that who came in and tried to captivate their minds. Uh, regardless of whether this is a particular instance that is only in Ephesus or not, I think these verses are a great reminder to us as women of our responsibility today in today's world to not become followers of fads, spiritual fads, or false teachers that lead us and others astray. In verse 7, when Paul says, always learning but never acknowledging the truth, that's a phrase that really means these women were immature. They were not developing spiritual maturity or even emotional maturity. You know, a great example of always learning and never able to acknowledge the truth in our day are women that are captivated by the latest spiritual fads. And it may be that we, um, along with these spiritual fads, it may be women that we know that go from one conference to the other. Whatever the latest conference is, they are going to be there. Um, But they don't ever really stop to process the truth or to establish whether truth is really a part of that conference and then to process it and take it in and to find out what God has for them in the truth. They may pursue the latest hot book, what's out there that um, everyone is reading without stopping to process whether is there truth in this book and is there something in it that I need to use in my life to grow. It may be the next hot speaker, just someone you don't even know what they say, but everyone's talking about them, so I need to line up and be there. Spiritual fads will never mature us if we don't evaluate the message for truth. And then we need to know if it's real truth, if it's truth that we can find in the Word of God, not just truth from the latest conference speaker or book, whoever that author is and what their best thought is. But we need to evaluate whether there's truth in it. And then if there is truth in it, we need to take some time and back away and process and discover how God wants us to mature through that truth. You know, if you just keep eating, 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 and you never had a opportunity, your body never had an opportunity to digest your food, it wouldn't have the opportunity to give you fuel and make your body grow. The same thing is true in our spiritual lives. And please don't misunderstand me. Going to conferences and hearing new speakers and enjoying a different worship style or even reading a really good book that you've um, heard about, all of those are perfectly legitimate and perfectly beneficial in our spiritual lives if Our goal is knowledge of the truth rather than being a part of the latest spiritual fad. 
We also have some great examples of false teachers on the TV today. Um, on the TV news, I know probably all of you have heard about um, the compound of women out in West Texas. It's been all, every time I turn on the TV, it's there. These are women who have been captivated by those who claim a form of godliness but actually deny his truth. There are men who are claiming spiritual marriage to many, many women to gratify their sexual perversion or at least that's reported on television. I don't really have personal knowledge of that, but that's the way it's reported. And those poor women that have been captivated by it and how their lives have been destroyed because they didn't evaluate it for the truth. And another great example from television, I believe, and um, I don't I hope I don't offend anyone by saying this. If you have concern about this, please come and talk to me. I would love to discuss it with you. But I think another great example is actually Oprah Winfrey on TV. Paul, we could plug Oprah's name into this description here, I believe. He gives us a great description of Oprah where he says, false teachers have a form of godliness but deny its power. You know, for years, Oprah, um, the, some of the big talk among the people I know is, is Oprah a Christian or not? Because she would talk about her background in the Baptist church. She would use the uh, name Jesus every now and then. But if you really listen to what she says, if you've heard any of her programs recently, in recent years in particularly, when she's asked about Jesus, she says that he's not the only way to God, that we can choose how we get to God. And in fact, when we get there, we can even call it what we want. We can call it friend. We can call it light. We can call it whatever we want. And through her popular TV show, um, she probably wouldn't like it if I used the term wormed her way, as Paul does, into millions of homes. But through her TV show, she has access to millions of American women, probably women all over the world. I imagine she's probably shown all over the world. She has influence over those who watch her every day. One word from Oprah and millions by whatever the latest um, New Age spiritual fad book is that she has out there. I saw... Um, a video clip of her uh, interviewing the author of the latest uh, New Age spiritual fad book that she's promoting, The New Earth, I believe it's called. And she was asking him, and first they went into a trance together. They relaxed together, and, you know, she did that. And then after that, she asked him what he thought was going to happen to him when he died. And he said, uh, if he thought about what was going to happen to him when he died, and he said, I don't think about it at all. Nothing's going to happen. And she shook her head as she nodded about it. And then she went on to say that God is simply a feeling experience, not a believing experience. And that if God is a believing experience for you, um, it's not really God at all. And just like Janes and Jambre who opposed Moses, Oprah, when she says things like that, opposes God's truth. And because of her influence, millions of women have begun to believe that God is simply whoever they want him to be. As the faithful in the last days, ladies, we should run from the faults. Run from the faults. Okay, let's read on in Timothy. Let's read uh, verses 10 through 13. 
You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecution I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived." You know, Paul and Timothy stand in stark contrast here to the false teachers and the immature followers of the false teachers that Paul has just been talking about. As Paul shares with Timothy that in the last days he should not only be running from the false, but he should be running to the truth, he uses their own lives as an example of that. For the last 16 years, Timothy has been a part of Paul's life and a part of Paul's ministry, and Paul commends him for the fact that he has not followed false teachers and the fads, but rather he has followed someone who Paul points out teaches the truth accurately. He's followed someone whose own life has been an open book so that Timothy can measure whether at the end of the day what he does and says before men is the same thing he does when he goes home at night. Timothy had that kind of knowledge about Paul's life. Did he just stand up and say it in the temple? What did he do when we left and went home every night? Timothy has chosen well in contrast with those who follow the faults. The teacher he has chosen to follow knows the truth of God, teaches the truth of God, and openly lives out the truth of God day in and day out, moment by moment in his life. Faithfulness, both in our lives and in Timothy's life, is going to demand that we choose to follow those who follow the truth. That is so important in our lives. And right here is Paul commends Timothy for his choice to follow those who follow the truth. Paul mentions his suffering and throws it in, and he does that for a reason. Um, suffering and persecution has been part of his life as he followed the truth. That's an important reality for the faithful to understand because false teachers in today's world, almost every false teacher in today's world, always dangle the opposite. False teachers who claim to know God but deny in reality the power and the truth of God dangle that good life out there. It's because they really don't have anything else to dangle. They can't dangle the truth, so they have to dangle the lie of the good life. Um, They dangle a life free from problems. They dangle a life filled with prosperity. A few months ago, right here in Fort Worth, Texas, there was a tragedy that happened. There was a man who had read um, Oprah's previous fad book, The Secret, and had bought into that lie that you could visualize prosperity in your life. And if you did, one day you would go to the mailbox and there it would be. It would be there. And he had begun to amass debt and accumulate things that he couldn't pay for unless that check showed up in his mailbox. And guess what? It never showed up in his mailbox. So he became despondent over the mess that believing the lie got him in, and he killed himself and left a young family as a result of that. Paul knows, and he wants Timothy to know, that no one who knows the truth or teaches the truth should embrace the lie that the Christian life will be without suffering and without persecution. 
part of running to the truth as the faithful is understanding that our lives in Christ, this side of heaven, are lived in a fallen world. Our lives in Christ, this side of heaven, are lived with great opposition from the prince of this world. And our lives, this side of heaven, um, are lived in a world, according to Christ, that hates us. Ephesians 6, 11, and 12 on your verse sheet says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. That doesn't sound like prosperity to me. I don't know about you. And Matthew 10:22 says, All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Yet Paul, even as he tells Timothy about the suffering that the faithful will endure as they pursue the truth, he rejoices about it and he talks about that he's not despairing because Christ has rescued him. He knows, Paul knows, that Christ in one way or another has rescued him from all suffering and persecution, whether in this life or in the next. Philippians 1, 19 and 21 on your verse sheet says that, For I know that through all your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We are, the truth is we are going to suffer, and the real truth is, is that we will be delivered eventually from all of our suffering. Okay, let's move on, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul shares with Timothy here, points out to him that the truth has been very, very important in Timothy's life and in his journey of faithfulness. And faithfulness in the last days is going to mean that he is going to have to continue with what he already knows, continue with what he has already learned. There is no doubt that Timothy's life has been changed by God's truth. The truth has brought him wisdom, and wisdom has brought him salvation. Timothy's complete confidence in those who have taught him the truth, his mother and his grandmother and his mentor and friend Paul, and his confidence in the scriptures should keep him running to that truth and away from the faults. Paul reminds Timothy that the scriptures may have come through the pens of men, through the pens of God's chosen writers, but in fact, they are God's very own words. They don't simply contain the word of God. They don't simply reflect the word of God or become the word of God if certain conditions are met. They are always and forever God's own voice. They are his heart, his will, his mind given supernaturally to us through his chosen writers. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy had its origin in the will of man, but men, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
And because these are God's very own words, they are the perfect tool for Timothy in his present life and in his future ministry as well. As well. As well. While false teachers teach their own wisdom and their own version of the truth, Timothy is going to be teaching others only the truth of God's word. While false teachers correct those they disagree with out of their own thoughts and their own wisdom and their own self-centeredness, Timothy is going to use God's word and its perfectly inspired wisdom to correct those who are off track in the church at Ephesus. While false teachers are going to use their own fads to pervert the lives of men, Timothy is going to use God's very own word to train those around him in righteousness. God's word is the perfect tool for the job that Timothy has before him in Ephesus. My husband is a vet, is a veterinarian. He's actually a very, very um, good veterinary surgeon. And he has um, an array of surgical instruments that he guards very, very carefully. His staff knows that these are very important. They're the only thing that he can use the particular for the particular job he has to do. So they take care of them, they wash them carefully, sterilize them carefully, wrap them in packs and keep them where he knows where they are. My husband never goes in to do surgery at his office and calls up front to his receptionist and says, bring me a pair of scissors and a stapler. He has the perfect tool for every surgery that he goes in uh, to do. God did not give us his word simply to satisfy our curiosity about him. That's not the purpose of it. He gave it to us as the perfect tool to use in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And no one understands that better than Paul. Paul knows from his own experience that is truly only the word of God that equips God's people to do God's work. The word of God is the perfect tool for Timothy. Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Okay, let's finish up with the last few verses and uh, first few verses in chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, we will judge the living and the dead. And in view of this, of his appearing and his kingdom, okay, let me start over. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead? And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I will give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But you keep your head in all situations and endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. These are Paul's final instructions in this section of his letter and his most important instructions to his beloved Timothy. In the last days, the faithful should shout God's truth to the world. In the last days, um, in light of the coming judgment, in light of Christ's return, in light of the establishment of the millennial kingdom, that's the backdrop 
for Paul as he gives Timothy a serious and solemn command. Preach the word. Now the word preach here means to preach like a herald. In Paul's day, every ruler, every king, every Roman emperor had a special herald who was commissioned by the emperor or the king to make official and important announcements. And they were people that had a very distinct and loud and clear voice. And when people heard the herald begin to talk, they stopped and listened so they would not miss anything important. In fact, it was a serious offense to ignore the king's herald or to abuse or mishandle, mistreat the herald in any way. Timothy is the king's herald. Paul wants him to know that, and he is to herald God's word. Paul intends for Timothy to feel the seriousness of this charge here as he gives it to him, and not simply because Paul is facing death and his time is short and Timothy alone is going to lead the church in Ephesus. But he wants them to realize, even more than that, that one day both of them are going to stand in front of of Jesus Christ as the judge. Paul wants Timothy to realize that his faithfulness in heralding God's word is going to have eternal consequences for himself and for everyone around him. Because the word of God is inspired, because it is that perfect tool for every aspect of ministry, Preaching the word was to be Timothy's business day in and day out, whether it was convenient or not, whether the opportunity to preach the word was favorable or not. He was simply to preach the word continually. He wasn't to get up and say, you know, it's chilly out today, I think I'll go back to bed. He wasn't to get up and say, whoa, this looks like an angry, unhospitable crowd, I think I'll go home. He was to preach the word continually. Those in error, he was to rebuke with God's word. Paul lays it out for him very uh, carefully here. This is a perfect job description for a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You rebuke with God's word. Those in sin, you correct with God's word. Uh, Those who need to be encouraged, you encourage with God's word. Because Paul himself had already experienced what this uh, was like. He had taken every opportunity to shout God's truth to the world no matter where he was. Paul shouted God's truth to the world when he was in the temple courts surrounded by uh, the Judaizers. He shouted out God's truth when he was on the stormy seas and about to be shipwrecked. He shouted out God's truth every single time he was in prison. Because of that, he knew that the job of being God's herald was never going to be an easy one. There were going to be pressures involved with it. There were going to be many hardships. And Timothy, it's going to need patience on your part. You are going to have to herald the God's word with careful instruction. Paul knew that the day was coming. He tells him, Timothy all this because he knows that the day was coming. In fact, I think he probably already knew that day had come to the church at Ephesus as he sits in a prison in Rome. The day was coming when those who filled the pews of Timothy's church in Ephesus would rather be entertained than instructed by God's word. They would rather be told stories, things that made them feel good, than be taught sound doctrine from the truth. I read a great quote about preaching the word from theologian Warren Wiersbe, and he said this about the job of preaching the word. True preaching is the explanation and application of Bible doctrine. 
Anything else is just religious speech-making. The fact that a preacher has a large congregation is not always a sign that, a, that he is preaching the truth. In fact, it may be evidence that he is tickling people's itching ears and giving them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. Paul knows that preaching the word under all of these circumstances is going to be Timothy's lifelong ministry. And in order to do it well, he's going to have to have a clear head, he's going to have to be committed to hard work, and he's going to have to endure with faithfulness. Paul has given Timothy a serious and solemn job description as a faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's placed in his hand the only tool that could possibly accomplish the job that Timothy has been handed, the inspired word of God. In the last days, Timothy should shout God's truth to the world. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. My youngest son is in yet another stage of pilot training. It kind of seems to go on and on, months and months of this. And whenever I talk to him... Um, of course, boys are not very talkative, and whenever I talk to him, I say, what are you doing? He answers in one word, monotone, which guys do, studying, and then in order to keep the conversation going, I say, what are you studying? And he always says, I'm studying a checklist, and I've discovered that uh, the military leaves nothing to chance. As a military pilot, he has a checklist for everything, and I'm great. as a mother, I'm grateful for that. I want him to have a checklist. When I talked to him two nights ago, he was going over a huge checklist for what happens when he loses the engines on his plane, and I'm thinking, put prey at the top of your list, but that really wasn't, um, that really wasn't what he said, but the the military understands that what they teach these young men women, and women to do is serious business, and if they don't get it right, people are going to get killed. You know, our faithfulness in the last days as we wait for the Savior is serious business. Paul doesn't leave that to doubt here for Timothy. It is serious business. And so because I want us to uh, also know what to do in an emergency, I've made just a little bitty short checklist at the bottom of your outline for what to do for faithfulness in the last days, a checklist that we can have. And the first thing I think that needs to be on our checklist is we need to check our relationships if we're going to be faithful in the last days. You know, the first week that we talked about uh, Timothy and Paul, we talked about the fact that genuine relationships spur us on to faithfulness. Well, this week, Paul has not minced any words about the fact that we are living in a time when people are going to be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. And we are going to be surrounded and immersed in these people wherever we go, whatever we do. Um, As we discover these people around us, as they're part of our world and part of our um, necessary involvement in the world, other than sharing the truth of Christ with them, other than having a desire to build a relationship with them in order to influence them, we need to take Paul's advice to Timothy here seriously. We need to be 
cautious and careful with who we spend our time with. And we're going to have to be very discerning with those people who claim to know God but actually deny God with their actions. We are going to have to listen to what they say and watch how they live their life. You know, I'm busy and a lot of times things get past me and I don't take very, pay very good attention. When it comes to the relationships in my life, I need to pay close attention to what they're saying and what they're doing. We are not running from the faults as women who are pursuing faithfulness if we have a best friend that we spend every moment with or a boyfriend that we want to spend the rest of our life with or perhaps a housemate that we get up every morning with and go to bed with every life or anyone else in our life who if if these people that are so a part of our lives are constantly captivated by false teaching or whose life and lifestyle deny God's truth just like Timothy faithfulness for us will mean that we need to check our relationships and be discerning secondly we need to check our commitment to the truth to God's truth not the world's truth to God's truth So if I said to you today, take out a sheet of paper, and on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most important, I want you to write down, I want you to judge, how important is God's truth to you? Where would it be on that scale? Would it be more important to you than um, where you live? Would it be more important to you than how much money is in your bank account? Would it be more important to you than um, having the perfect family? Would it be more important to you than being in control of things around you? Would it be more important to you than being thin? Would it be more important to you than your image to the world? Think about how important God's truth is to you this week. Take a sheet of paper, write it down somewhere, write it in the edge of your Bible, and begin to contemplate that um, as you know the fact that you live in the last days. I read about a man who was a heavy smoker, and he became alarmed over the number of newspaper articles. He would get up every day and read the newspaper, and every day there would be an article in there on the relationship between smoking and lung cancer. And he confided in a friend that he had become so alarmed about what he was reading about the connection with smoking and lung cancer that he had decided to stop reading the newspaper. (laughs) Here was a man that was more committed to nicotine than he was to the truth. In fact, he was so committed to nicotine that he was willing to leave the truth behind rather than change his life. It's only faithfulness is going to demand our commitment to the truth because it's only the truth that's going to change our lives. It's only the truth that's going to change the lives of those around us. And it's only having leaders who live out the truth in life that are going to keep our churches alive and on the right path. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Faithfulness will mean in the last days we must run to the truth. And finally on our faithfulness checklist is check your heart for the heralding of God's word. You know, none of us in this room, I don't think, I might be surprised, I guess, but none of us in this room probably are going to have the job of being the pastor of a church with the responsibility of getting up Sunday after Sunday and preaching the word as Paul was 
laying out for Timothy that that was going to be his job. But that is not going to let us off the hook when it comes to having a heart for heralding God's word. In verse 3 of chapter 4 where Paul says there's going to come a time when men will not want to hear sound doctrine. They're going to want to turn their ears from the truth and turn aside to miss. It's interesting there because he's been talking about false teachers, false teachers, false teachers. Well, he stops for a moment. He's not talking about false teachers here. He's talking about the evils of listeners who want false teachers. He's talking about people that sit in the pews and provide a willing audience for false teachers. If we, as women, have a heart for heralding God's word, we are going to make sure that's not who we are. We're going to make sure that we sit in the pews of a church and demand, in fact, ask for and look for the fact that we sit in the pews and hear sound doctrine week in and week out. We're going to also want to make sure that we encourage our pastors, those that have the job of heralding the word, that we encourage and support our pastors that have that hard job of heralding God's truth week in and week out, that we don't give them a hard time when they tell us the truth from God's word, that we don't say, Gosh, Pastor, that was a little harsh. I didn't really want to know about that sin. We, if we have a heart for heralding God's word, we're going to support our pastors as they teach us sound doctrine for the truth. And finally, we need to make sure that we are never part, as women, that we are never part of the problem that Paul talks about here, that we are never coming to church wanting our ears tickled, that we are never coming to church with the thought, We come to be entertained rather than trained in righteousness through the preaching of the word. Faithfulness in the last days will mean that we have a heart for shouting God's truth to the world. Let's pray, ladies. Lord, we thank you for your spirit of truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the freedom that we have, so much freedom to know the truth as women in this country, so much opportunity to read and study and dwell in the Word of God. And Father, for that privilege, I ask that you would give us all a commitment to the truth, that we would be strong enough and discerning enough to run from the faults, that we would um, turn and run to your truth, only your truth, not the world's truth. And Father, in that, that you would give each of us a heart for making sure that every Sunday morning... um, The church heralds the truth of your word. I pray this in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ.